You are listening to the Sports Daily. I'm your host, Reality Steve. Thank you all for tuning in. Good episode heading into the weekend. We've got some NBA playoff matchups starting to form already. The season ends this weekend. By Monday's podcast, we're going to know all the playoff matchups in the NBA. So we're going to go over some things that can happen this weekend. We have an answer to yesterday's podcast where we talked about what Tim Hardaway Sr. said about Luka and Kyrie. His son, Tim Hardaway Jr., who's on the Mavericks, responded to what his dad said. We'll talk about that. We're going to talk some Major League Baseball statistics. We had a record that happened earlier this week. And then we're going to go over the first round of the Masters. Some of the nuggets that I gave you yesterday, if you followed them, sung, some kind of stayed true to what the info was that I gave out, and some didn't. And we'll go over that. And we'll get to all that momentarily. All right, let's get started talking NBA playoffs. There is only three days left in the NBA season. Most teams have played 80 of their 82 games. There's a couple that have actually played 81. So most are playing tonight and Sunday, or they're playing Saturday, Sunday. But here's the deal. Your top, I'm not even going to talk about the Eastern Conference, because that's pretty much set. The craziness is in the Western Conference, and here's why. Your top four seeds are now set. Denver's the one, Memphis is the two, Sacramento's the three, Phoenix is the four. Phoenix can't move up to the three or move back to the five. So now Phoenix is locked in at the four. Kevin Durant is 8-0 and as a Phoenix Sun when he's played. Remember, he had that injury, kept him out two, three weeks, and they lost some games in there. But when he's been in a Phoenix Sun uniform, they haven't lost. Who wants to play them come the playoffs? So, as we know, the four plays the five. Well, right now, the five and six seed are tied with the best record, are tied with the same record. Clippers and Golden State both at 42 and 38. The Lakers and New Orleans are the seven and eight seeds right now, and they're only one game behind the Clippers and Golden State. I don't know who has the tiebreaker over who if all four teams tie or something ridiculous, but here's the thing there's no way. Golden State, I believe, let me just double check here. Golden State's schedule is they've got – they're at Sacramento tonight and at Portland on Sunday. I'm telling you right now, I don't know what their plans are, but there's no way Golden State wants to end up as the five seed. I don't think fans want to see Golden State and Phoenix in the first round. Yeah, it's a great series, but I think fans think both of those teams could end up meeting in the Western Conference Finals if one of them is the four and one of them is the six because – Let's just say it stays the way it is right now. Phoenix 4, Clippers 5, Golden State 6. Well, now Golden State's going to play Sacramento in the first round. We know that Sacramento hadn't been in the playoffs in 18 years or 16 years, one of the two. Do you really think that Golden State is going to be scared of the Sacramento Kings come the playoffs? No. And Phoenix would play the Clippers. And if they both won their series, that means Golden State would end up playing the two seed, assuming two beats seven. If Memphis beats the seven seed and the four seed would play the one seed, Denver, and you could have a Phoenix Golden State Western Conference final, which honestly, I think that's going to be your Western Conference final. Golden State's getting Wiggins back. They're finally healthy. Assuming Golden State ends up at the six and they don't have to play Phoenix in the first round, which I don't know. I don't know what this, the, the chatter has been there, but something tells me Golden State's going to be resting guys tonight in Sacramento and resting guys Sunday in Portland. I don't even think Golden State cares if they fall to the seven and have to play in the play-in game because even if they play in the play-in game and win that first one, 
they get Memphis, a team they've never lost to in the playoffs. And, I, you know, I think they would love to stay at the six because not only would they get Sacramento, a team that's not even close to being playoff ready defensively, but they don't have to travel. They don't have to bear – I mean, what is that, 45-minute flight from San Francisco to Sacramento? Do they even get on a plane or do they just bus it to the games? I mean, talk about a convenient series for them. Yes, while I don't think they would mind if they fell to the seven, they just don't want to move up to the five. And the only way they move up to the five is if they win one of their last two games or win both of their last two games. I can't wait to see this starting lineup they roll out tonight at Sacramento. I think they're resting everybody. I I, I, I don't know. I, I, we'll see. But Golden State could be the five. They could end up being the eight. I mean, that's how far they could drop. But it's it's going to be fascinating. I I if you ask me right now, I think it probably ends up like this. I think Golden State ends up the six, the Clippers end up the five, and Lakers, New Orleans, Minnesota somehow that's seven eight nine. But in terms, and then we're talking about the Dallas Mavericks yesterday, with Oklahoma City winning in Utah last night. The Dallas Mavericks have to win tonight against Chicago and win Sunday against San Antonio, and Oklahoma State has to lose their last game of the season which is Sunday afternoon against Memphis in Oklahoma City. Oklahoma City wins that game. It doesn't matter what Dallas does. If Dallas goes 2-0 and these last two games, it doesn't matter. Oklahoma City would get the eight, would get the 10 seed, and the Dallas Mavericks, a year removed from being in the Western Conference Finals, won't even make the playoffs. I mean, people in, out here are freaking out, but they're pretty much almost resigned to the fact that, yeah, it's probably going to happen. Dallas has Chicago and San Antonio at home. They should go 2-0, and but all it means is they need help because they don't control their own destiny. They can go 2-0 and and still not make the uh, play-in game. And look, even if they do, even if Oklahoma City does lose on Sunday to Memphis, Dallas is going get to get in as the 10 seed and have to beat Minnesota, then have to beat the loser of probably the Lakers' and New Orleans Pelicans, and I, nobody thinks they're going to do that. And even if they do do that, that means they're getting the eight seed in the Western Conference, and they're probably not going to meet Denver anyway. So does it really matter? Probably just should miss the playoffs at this point and keep your 10th pick in the draft. That's what a lot of people are saying. So yesterday I talked about the fact that Tim Hardaway Sr. called out Luka and Kyrie for not being leaders, which I agreed with. But I said, like, look, his son plays on the team. Is he just making this up all on his own by watching it? Is it stuff that he's heard from his son? Is stuff that his son texted him? Is his son, like, grumbling behind the scenes? Well, Tim Hardaway Jr. came out yesterday and said, I 1,000% disagree with my dad. I've, you know, I'm reading some of the quotes here. I've come out numerous times and told you how much I, how much leadership Luca has shown throughout my whole time here in Dallas. He shows it on and off the floor. Uh, we wouldn't be in anything without him, so let's just set that straight. Kyrie has been nothing more than a leader since he's been here or whatever. Um, and then he called his dad to give him a little piece of his mind saying that's not right. Um, he said, I will own up to it and deal with it and take it straight to the chin and make sure I can set the record straight. What he said out of his mouth is not me. I'm not my dad. We grew up in two different eras and two different worlds. That is not me as a person at all. I apologize on his behalf and my family's behalf. Don't want nobody focusing in on that. I'm here to play basketball. I'm here to do my job, best of my abilities. And that's what I'm here to focus on. Look, I don't expect Tim Hardaway Jr. to be like, yep, yeah, I agree with what my dad said. 
because we've talked about it numerous times. I don't expect him to call out Luca publicly. But even in that answer where he says Luca's been a leader on and off the floor, yes, I don't follow the Dallas Mavericks on a daily basis. I'm not on the team charter. I'm not at practices. I don't see what's going on. What I can see, though, and what numerous people in the Dallas media can see is that Luca is not a leader. But you don't expect one of his teammates with two games left in the season to be like, this guy can't lead, and I don't know what he's doing here. You know, I don't expect Tim Hardaway Jr. to call out Luca, But let's face it, a lot of people in Dallas are. And I don't know what Tim Hardaway Jr. is talking about. We're saying that stuff. He's a leader on and off the court. He's certainly not a leader on the court. So I don't know what he does off the court. Maybe he's a really nice guy and he's fun to play with and you play cards in the room. I don't think that makes him a leader. The fact that your best player doesn't play a lick of defense and complains all the time to the referee is not a good sign of a leader. Leaders don't do that. Leaders lead by example. The example that he sets is not worthy of a leadership, uh, of a leader. It doesn't, it's not even worthy of having the C on his chest. I think he's been a stat guy for five years. There is a good chance, as long as Oklahoma City beats Memphis on Sunday, this team is going from the Western Conference Finals to out of the playoffs in one year, and that's after getting one of the best players in the league, not saying he's a great teammate, but picking up Kyrie at the trading deadline and you're not even going to make the playoffs? When they picked up Kyrie, they were in the playoff hunt. They were like the sixth seed you're telling me they're going to be the 11th seed in the Western Conference and not make the playoffs, and yet Luka's a leader? Sorry. <laughs> You're just not going to convince me. I've watched this team long enough. I've watched Luka long enough. Love his game. I do get bored with his game because I don't like to see a team rely on one guy so much and just have him dribble and dribble and dribble and then drive and get a double and pass it out and you know, it's not the most – they are not a great team to watch aesthetically. They're like 28th in the league in pace. I like my teams to kind of go up and down the floor, run some set plays or whatever. It just seems like they don't have much of an identity, and they just let Luka do whatever he wants, and that's not great to watch. But he is individually unstoppable. Like he can take anybody off the dribble to the basket, or he can do his step back, his patented step back three. But five years in, and you're not going to make the playoffs the year after the Western Conference Finals, there needs to be some soul-searching done within Luka himself and within this organization. All right, we have a record that was set a few days ago in Major League Baseball. This is a good one. Since in the last 35 years in baseball, there have been 3,682 days of days where at least a full schedule of baseball games were played in 35 years, 14 games minimum. On April 4th, which was Tuesday, the average time of all the games on Tuesday this season, the average time on all the games on Tuesday was two hours and 33 minutes. That's the lowest average time on a given full day of baseball games in the last 35 years. Now, I guess we shouldn't be too surprised considering the rule changes. We knew this was coming, and we knew this was going to set records. So that was 233 on Tuesday. I got to believe some other day, game this season, some other, excuse me, some other day this season 
in a full slate of baseball games is going to average less than 233. I'm sure we're going to get a 232 day. Maybe we'll even get under 230. Maybe we'll have a day where all the games together average two hours and 29 minutes. But I can't imagine that April 4th this year, Tuesday, is going to be the lowest average time of game all season. We're going to get something similar. Um, I don't know what the average time of game is has been for every day, but they're already literally knocking 30 minutes off games from last year, and it is so awesome. I And the more they do it, the more I smile and um, kind of poke fun at Jay Stu because he thinks they're going to be knocking off like five minutes a game by the end of the year, and I, I don't see that at all. But, yeah, two hours and 33 minutes on Tuesday. The average game last year, at least in the first week of the season, was – three hours and nine minutes I mean that's that's 36 minutes less and you if any of you have watched games this year I'm sure you have you it's so noticeable it's just pitchers can't dilly-dally around anymore and I love it there's all these things on Instagram and Twitter that have a split screen video of a pitcher last year like the same pitcher last year I can't remember who it was Bassett for the Mets, forget his first name, in one minute and six seconds, he had thrown one pitch last year, and this year, in one minute and six seconds, he had thrown four, and they have the videos in the same, like a split-screen video of what he did, stepped off the mound, and then he got back on the mound, and the catcher said, no, step off again, we got to go over the signals, and then the batter stepped out, but then in this <laughs> in this season, of him on the mound, he threw four pitches in the same time span. It's it's so good. It's it's awesome. Now, is baseball suddenly going to surpass the NFL and the NBA in popularity? No. But I think it's going to get more people excited about it and more people watching it and more people maybe even going to attend the games. Because let's face it, when you go to a baseball game, I don't want to be out there for three and a half hours. That's too long for me. I mean, most people, especially nowadays in social media days, most people that go to baseball games are on their phone anyway. But two and a half hours, two hours, 45 minutes, that's perfect because that's pretty much the time for an NBA game. So if they can even up with the NBA, I'm down with that. And finally, first round of the Masters is in the books. We've got a three-way tie for the lead. Brooks Kepka, Victor Hovland, and John Rahm are all seven under. Kepka and Hovland both play on the live tour i'm sorry victor hovland's not on the live tour he was rumored to be going to the live tour but he's not um kepka shot a 65 and if you're comparing live tour versus pga tour pga tour dominated yesterday because they had two guys at 65 live golf had one guy at 65 the live golf had nobody else that was better than 70 pga tour had two guys at 65 two guys at 67 Six guys at 68, four guys at 69, and you know three guys at at 70. Where only one live guy got 70. So if we're if we're playing that game, PGA did way better. The live player scoring average in the first round was 72. The PGA players averaged 68. You know, it's just like let's let's not make this a PGA versus live. And even if a live tour player did win the Masters, that doesn't mean the live tour is better. It just means that. One of the golfers that happened to defect to go over to the Live Tour won the Masters. It doesn't really mean anything. Now, a couple of the nuggets that I gave you yesterday from Chris Felica's Twitter account 
some of them didn't really um, hold up because one of them was that Brooks Kepka was terrible in the Masters or recently had been terrible. And where was that one? Um, yeah, he'd missed the cut in each of his last two Masters going combined 11 over par in those four rounds. And now he's seven under leading after the first round, tied for the lead after the first round. But I will say this for Kepka: the last two years he was injured. He even said it after his round was over. Like, look, I don't, I pretty much throw the last two years away. I was not healthy. So I can, I can, I'm fine with that. John Rahm, who was also a co-leader with Kepka and Hovland is seven on at seven under Remember, I read you yesterday that his just two of his last 10 rounds at Augusta had been under par and both of them were on a Sunday. So those two didn't really hold the form. Rory kind of held the form. Each of Rory's last four first round at the Masters had been over par 73, 76, 75, 73. He shot even yesterday. And what did I say about people that shot even or people that didn't shoot? The last five winners, the average score on their first round was 68. So doesn't mean Rory can't come back, but it's not looking good for him. The defending champion, Scotty Scheffler, shot a four under, and he could have shot 10 under because he absolutely could not buy a putt to save his life. He had, what, 32 putts in uh, 18 holes? Yeah. He had 32 putts in 18 holes. That's terrible. He was three for nine from five to 10 feet. So goes to show that he just didn't putt well, and he's still only three off the lead. He's going to be there on Sunday. And if you ask me who's going to win this thing, I think he defends his title. He's my pick right now to win it all. He's just too solid of a player. Yesterday, now, the conditions were great. And if you didn't shoot under par yesterday, you missed the boat because apparently starting this afternoon, the morning guy's out are going to get good weather. But starting this afternoon through Saturday, the weather is supposed to suck. It's going to be cold and windy and rainy. So the guys who are out early this morning have a really good chance to be there at the end on Sunday because they will have their first two rounds in the books in good weather. And all you need to do is look at the overall score yesterday to realize, wow, these guys really took advantage of the easy weather. There were no conditions yesterday. Wasn't windy. <laughs> no rain. The average score yesterday was 72.3, just a tad over par. That's the lowest first round scoring average in Masters in the Masters in the last 15 years, not counting 2020. Remember when they moved it to November, which was, you know, everyone just obliterated the course in November. It just wasn't it wasn't uh it wasn't fast at all. And not saying the greens aren't fast at that place and they're not, you know, huge undulations, but my gosh, to have an average score of 72.3 yesterday, that shows how, you know, I'm never going to say Augusta is easy, but that's about as easy it can get for these pros. So keep an eye out for the guys who tee off this morning who avoid the bad weather because it's starting to roll in this afternoon apparently and it's going to run all th through Saturday. I think we're going to have a bunch of times pushed back. We're not going to get people finishing round two today. We're going to have guys having to double up on Saturday. It's going to be a mess. But I love Scotty Scheffler. Um, I, he just got to get his putter right. He had. I, I don't even know how you shoot four under and in 32 putts with 32 putts. That's crazy. The other thing that happened today, which was pretty amazing because it's only happened once in 
well, here it is. Here's the stat. And if there's somebody gonna, that's going to beat Scotty Scheffler, it might be John Rahm. John Rahm is only the second player since 1990 at the Masters to hit every fairway and hit 17 or more greens in regulation. That's 9,500 rounds of golf have been played since 1990 at the Masters, and only two golfers hit every fairway and hit 17 or more greens in regulation. John Rahm yesterday and Nolan Hankey in 1992 in the final round. That's it. Those two. That came from Justin Ray Golf, who's just a savant when it comes to Masters and golf statistics. He's a good follow on Twitter if you're interested in this stuff, at Justin Ray Golf. But, you know, that's why John Rahm is 7-under. And this is a John Rahm who four-putted the first hole and double-bogeyed it. So he played the last 17 holes in 9-under. If he's going to play like that, then – I. I then it's going to be tough for Scheffler to beat him, obviously. But I, I, I don't see any scenario where John Rahm and Scotty Scheffler aren't both top three and contending on Sunday, if not the final pairing or both in the at least the last two pairings on Sunday. These two guys are playing too well right now. And Scheffler, obviously, defending champion. It's not easy to win back-to-back. I get that. But when I saw that he shot four under yesterday with 32 putts, he cleans that up, and he's going to be right there. So I, I, I love the Masters. I will be watching it all weekend, and I can't wait to talk about it Monday. So we will definitely talk about it Monday along with your NBA playoff matchups. Just keep in mind, be very wary of the Golden State Warriors tonight in Sacramento and then on Sunday in Portland because I have a feeling they don't want to win. They don't want to move up in the standings and move to the five seed and have to play Phoenix in the first round, you know? But you can say, like, well, what about the other team in that five spot? The Clippers, do they want to play that? Well, they might They might have to because if the Clippers and Golden State both lose out, the Clippers still remain the five seed. So uh, it, it's going to be a crazy ending. I, I, it's going to be nuts the, over these next three days. Can't wait to, to see what happens. Thank you all for listening. Really appreciate it. Please rate, subscribe, and review on Apple Podcasts. I went over it briefly in my daily roundup yesterday. I basically slept through my alarm. Well, sorry, I never set my alarm yesterday. I forgot to set it before I went to bed. And for whatever reason, I just never woke up. My first time I woke up last night was 9.30 or yesterday morning, 9.30 in the morning, which never happens. Even if I forget to set my alarm, like on the weekends, my body still wakes up at a certain time because I'm so used to it, usually around 6.30, 7 o'clock. And the first time my eyes... <laughs> Popped open was 9.30 yesterday morning. That's why I didn't tweet out and put on the Instagram story that the Sports Daily was up. So, But if you subscribe to the podcast, it shouldn't take my tweet or my Instagram story to let you know the podcast is up because it'll notify you on your phone. So subscribe to the Sports Daily makes it much easier. But that was an anomaly yesterday. I'm going to wake up at the right time and send out the tweet right when it is in the feed. So... Thank you all for listening. I really appreciate it. Have a great sports weekend. And remember, sports will always be the greatest reality show on television. See you.